My racing career isn't just about me. It's about the team, the fans, the sponsors, the families, the tracks, the whole sport. Join us over the next five months on the Junior Nation Appreciation Tour, where we show appreciation to where it's owed. If you love Dale Jr., then Exalta Racing is your go-to social media account on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It brings you insider's info all weekend long on the 88 team. It's at Exalta Racing, a must-follow for any Dale Jr. fan. This is Dale Jr., and you're listening to Dirty Mo' Radio. I was happy for Dad after it was over and he had won, but I don't like to finish second. This is the Daytona 500, and thank God! It's an accomplishment that we'll not forget. There's a lot of satisfaction in winning the championship. Jeff Gordon out of turn number four. He will lay claim to his first ever Winston Cup victory, and it comes in the Coca-Cola 600. Rick Hendrick, I hope I'm with you for a long time. At the end of the day, you still want to see a lot of people in those stands. I am history. (laughs) (laughs) Back in the day, with Steve Richards and Ron LeMasters. NASCAR history is a rich tapestry of speed, personality, and great racing. Here at Back in the Day, we celebrate that history by keeping it alive, just like Dale Earnhardt Jr. did on the original TV show. We'll take important dates, races, and trends in NASCAR and pass them along to you. Here comes Back in the Day from the Exalta Studio inside Junior Motorsports. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of the year 1974? For me, it's gas shortages, earth shoes, and not much else. It was a year in the middle of perhaps the most culturally devoid decade in human history. That might be a little strong, but to suffice it to say, nothing much good was going on then. 1974 was the year that the U.S. went through a chronic fuel shortage. The 55-mile-an-hour speed limit was imposed on the United States. That irritated millions of people. Of course, gas cost 55 cents a gallon back then, if you could actually find it. The Daytona 500 that year was shortened because of the gas crisis, and still Richard Petty won it, giving him five for his career. There were a few bright spots, however. One of them directly involves you, our listeners, and us, because we're sitting inside the Exalta studio here at Junior Motorsports. It was the year that Dale Earnhardt Jr. was born. From here, that looks like the only thing worth talking about in 1974, since the other topics were political. 1974 was the year that Richard Nixon resigned the presidency in the wake of Watergate. The aforementioned fuel crisis still gripped the country, and the American spirit was a bit the worse for wear. At least disco had not appeared on the scene. Let's check in and see if anything good was happening at all in the world in 1974. So that is the end of the game with the score. The Miami Dolphins 24, the Minnesota Vikings 7. The Miami Dolphins won the Super Bowl that year, and the Oakland A's won the World Series, beating the hated Los Angeles Dodgers in five games. Popular shows in TV included Kung Fu, Kojak, Loves you, baby. You're beautiful. and The Six Million Dollar Man. It was a great year for movies, as The Sting, The Exorcist, and The Godfather Part II all debuted. Of course, the picture that should have topped The Godfather for Best Picture, Blazing Saddles, was released as well. Hodges, we don't need no stinking budget! Many famous people had their race with the Reaper come to an end. The Jack Benny program! Including comedian Jack Benny. 60s cult icon Mama Cass Elliot. Veteran character actor Walter Brennan. James is darn good, but he's better, and I'm better than both of them. No brag, just fact. Baseball star Dizzy Dean. And Hollywood Square's centerpiece Charlie Weaver. 
that brings us to our topic for today, the summer race at Daytona International Speedway, which is traditionally the halfway point in the NASCAR Cup Series season. That's primarily because it's the first track the traveling tour returns to during the season, if you don't count Charlotte in May, which we don't. Let's bring in Steve Richards, longtime broadcaster and pit reporter for the Performance Racing Network, as well as the producer of our show back in the day, Daytona in the summertime. Steve, your thoughts? Well, you disc disco. That's the first thing. Yes, I disc disco. I'd rather eat barbed wire. (laughs) Well, I was a child of the 70s, and I didn't think the 70s was such a bad decade, although there was a lot of uh, not-so-good things happened in 1974. But It was like 60s light, though. You know, I mean, not for those of us who lived it. <laughs> well, see, I was nine in 74. <laughs> yeah, that's why. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but you couldn't do anything. I mean, you had to be 18 or 21 or whatever. Yeah. You were nine. You just basically that's why I have the feeling about the 70s that I do. Yeah. Well, that's true. But um, you're a bit more mature than me. I was in high school yeah. in the 70s. See, and I, uh, I, my first full time radio job was 1977. I entered high school in 79. So it started to get better once the 80s got here. Yeah, I like the 80s, too. Yeah. I have oh, nothing yeah. against the yeah. 80s, but yeah. the 70s were awesome. Well, the clothes. I mean, I go back and look at myself oh, in school pictures. Were oh, terrible. my God. And we talked on our last show about older cars, my right. my uh, 71 Camaro. Right. So then all the cars. I have no problem with the cars. Yeah. Well, it, well until, they, them. until they, you know, came in with the fuel regulations and the power kind of went down after, you know, in the early 70s. But, you couldn't yeah. get a 427. You could you could put five cars together and not have 427 cubic well, inches. Nobody wanted them back then. They were just used cars. You could have picked up a Hemi for nothing. Right. If only you knew. You know, you remember the Dodge commercial? And, and I sure. wish we talk about Dodge, but uh, John Reap, the guy that did the, is that a Hemi? Uh-huh. uh-huh. He's from Hickory. Is he? Yes. Oh, I think I knew that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's He's right. funny. You know, Raquel Welch was in a, a Dodge commercial? No. Yes, if you go on... Um, YouTube and look it up. You'll see that Raquel Welch was in a uh, Dodge Charger commercial. I, I like it. That's why I like the Charger. Yeah. Well, I you guess. mentioned Daytona in the summertime. Yes. Man, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Dale Earnhardt had an incredible, they had incredible records right. at Daytona in the summertime as well. Of course, everybody knows about their February records, but Daytona uh, brought about the most memorable race for me, and that was Dale's victory in 2001 after his uh, father passed away. That. That's probably the most memorable Daytona race for just about everyone. There are a few others here and there. Right, Tony, 79. Yeah, and Tony Stewart's victory, the rain delayed. It was, you know, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning until uh, post-race ended. And, uh, right. you know, that was that was memorable as well. But, like I said, Earnhardt's uh, victory was special and always will be. Well, as dark as uh, February eighteenth, two 2001 turned out to be, Dale Jr.'s victory in July was sort of redemption. I mean, it didn't bring Dale back. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it was, hey, you know, right, the healing can begin now. Well, you know? and of course, during the 500, it was Junior pushing Michael Waltrip to the victory. Mm-hmm. And in the July race, it was Michael pushing Dale to the victory. To see Michael pull up, man, was cool because I knew when he pulled in behind me uh, with two laps to go, that <laughs> I just knew that he was going to help me. You know, and that's all I needed was just somebody to stay behind me. And I knew he wasn't going to move because I helped him in the 500, and I told him that I helped him, so he owed me. And, uh, so he, you know, just I just knew he was going to win. When he pulled down there and pulled up beside my car and stood up, and he was on top of his car, and I, was, I knew he was so happy. He, like he won the race, you know, so it was something. I mean, he, he's had a rough year aside from the 500 and stuff, so uh, he's probably having a good night right now. <laughs> well, that's right, and, you know, I, I can still remember watching that. 
mm-hmm. because you know, I mean, just it was must see TV. Mm-hmm. And he Michael pops out the roof hatch, right? And Dale's running around, jumping on top of the car, and doing all this stuff. And I've never seen him. I've seen him happy before, but I never to that point had seen him like that. And I think that just kind of let whatever barriers he built up to wall himself off from what happened in February just broke. And and it was heartening to see from my point. Well, and uh, he said after the race that he knew two laps into it that he could win it. He said the car was just unbelievable that night. Mm. And uh, it was one of those deals where he dreamt about winning the race, but uh, he was a little bit in shock that he actually did win that race. I can't imagine it. I can't imagine it. I just can't think. I can't sit here and understand it. It makes no sense to me. And I can't believe it's happening to me. I don't know why this is happening to me. Um, And, you know, I'm just going to stay close to my friends and Tony and the people that that make me feel good. Maybe I'll figure it out. (laughs) Interesting. Well, you know, that's his, that's a, it seems like he's searching for something there. Yeah. And, and he was flabbergasted. Yeah, his flabber had been gasted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, I mean, really he was 27 years old at the time, and the one person in your life that's probably the most important to you is no longer around to help you through, right? Mm-hmm. And it was tragic and it was you know, it was harrowing and I mean, how do you deal with that? That and and still get in the race car. Yeah. You know, but he did it and he won. And I heard Michael say, I don't know if you have that clip or not, mm-hmm. but Michael said there was no way I was passing Dale Jr. Right, the last exactly, two years. exactly. Or two years, two laps. Right. And if he had, A, they would have torn him limb from limb on the infield there right. <laughs> at Daytona. But, I mean, it was it was just perfect, you know. And I get on NASCAR for having these coincidental moments. You know, mm-hmm. when somebody needs to win, magically they win. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's just the cynic in me, I guess. This, is, this was not one of no. them. No, 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 no. He was, he was wicked fast. This is where the legend was born. And Daytona next year, without him in it, is going to be real interesting. And in 2014, Dale Jr. reflected back on winning that race in 2001 and said that he really didn't have anything against the track, you know, per se. Yeah, it wasn't really bitter at all. We, you know, we were going back to Daytona where Dad had uh, been killed earlier in the year. And uh, I love Daytona. I did not have any sadness in my heart when I was there that weekend toward the track. You know, obviously I was missing my father still and sort of going through that whole process, but I, did, I, I love Daytona and I love what that track means to the sport. That track meant a lot to my father. I really think that, you know, for whatever reason, our team was poised to run well there and it just happened that the circumstances were what they were. And we had, I knew in practice that our car was out of sight. And uh, we showed it in practice. I had a couple drivers uh, really blown away by how effective our car was. And as, as a company at that point, DEI was, one, was the strongest team on the restricted plate tracks. I think that, that we were sort of just then starting to peak as a company at the plate tracks. And we went on to win several races at Daytona and, and, and Talladega for a couple years after that. Uh, yeah, several. Yeah, uh, Like four in a row. Yeah. Um, yeah and Ty Norris, who was – one of Dale Sr.'s top lieutenants, mm-hmm. always talked about that, you know, how, how it got there. And it was sort of by accident. I mean, they just discovered something. And they didn't tell anybody else and just basically beat everybody about the head and shoulders for four or five years. Mm-hmm. On it. And a lot of it had to do with the drivers. You know, Dale was a really good plate racer. Michael Waltrip was a great plate racer, you know, and he turned out to be, even in his, into his 50s, he's, he's a pretty good plate racer. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he can take a car that, that would not finish more than 30th and, and run it in the top 10 most of the day. But then something would happen. He'd either blow up or crash or whatever. <laughs> but, I mean, and, you know, DEI, I drive past that building every day on the way to work. Right. And it just, it, it infuriates me that it just sits there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But topic for another day. Speaking to Michael Waltrip, he reflected back on that Earnhardt victory, Earnhardt Jr. victory in 2001, and celebrating in the grass together after the race. It's the best celebration I ever had. I won a couple other races, and that was awesome at the time. But now, looking back, there's nothing that could even ever touch that night because it it meant so many things for so many reasons. And I'd started 25th or 6th on that with just a few laps to go and raced all the way up there to get to him. And I was so determined and so focused. And I remember thinking after it was over, that was some Dale Earnhardt crap right there, what I just did. I'm glad Junior won, but I'm happy about how I got there. And and I just wanted to celebrate with him and be a part of that celebration and to run one, two, and get to hug in front of the thousands of fans screaming something that when you love a sport as much as I do and you love Daytona as much as I do to get the honor to have that moment it's the most special and Junior talked about hugging Michael Waltrip after the race you know he was an awesome teammate when I worked with him he was fun to be around he's really good friend of my father's and he was a great friend of the company on that event that exact moment he he says all the time how he wanted to help me get across that finish line and you know, he wanted. He felt like he was a part of what was happening there, which he had every every right to feel that way. And uh, because I I counted on him many times in that race to to be able to win it, and you know, it just always was fun working with him. And we sort of capped off, you know, a, a great friendship and and a lot of great thing, a lot of great memories with that uh, with that win and that emotional moment there after the race. You know, so much of this is is about moments in time, mm-hmm. and that one will for as long as YouTube exists. Yeah, that moment will be etched in people's memories. Yeah, and as happy as Dale Jr. was for all the reasons we listed before, mm-hmm. Michael Waltrip, you know, think about that. You know, his crowning achievement in his career, now soon to be replaced by another Daytona 500 victory, but you know, the crowning achievement of his career is not remembered based on what happened in Turn Four on that day. Mm-hmm. So it was a it was a redemption for him too. And you know, it's not like Earnhardt's don't have a whole lot of success at Daytona. <laughs> True. You know? Juniors won two Daytona 500s. Dale Sr. won one. Dale Sr. still has the most victories at Daytona among anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, Juniors no slouch there. He's won twice in the in the fall and or fall, I guess summer, mm-hmm. and uh, twice in uh, in February. So yeah, I mean, and he's he's got a couple of Xfinity Series victories there too. So including and, and one big one, one really big one, really big yeah. one. And, and we're reminded of that yeah. every time we step into the studio. That's right. And it's because uh, the uh, the car that he won with is sitting right next to me. It's probably what three foot and feet, half, three feet. Yeah, and well, there's a wall there. Yeah, well, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if if there weren't the wall there, I could reach out and touch it. It's glass. Yes, it's, it's a window. It's well, wall window barrier. Yeah, uh, you know, Mr. Pedantic over there. Yeah, it's right right behind <laughs> Ron. Right behind Ron. And I am looking straight at the Wrangler number three. That's right. And and you know, look. And people who tour Junior Motorsports, which I do give tours here at Junior Motorsports, best damn tour guide in the business, mm-hmm. just like uh, Smokey Unic, best <laughs> damn garage. No, <laughs> okay. um, and the car itself is filthy. I mean, it is. It's got dirt all over it, dust all over it. That's exactly the way it came out of Victory Lane mm-hmm. in 2010. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was, I mean, a really it, it you know charged on so many levels because yeah. you had the number three involved, you had Wrangler and Dale Junior driving it. So. It was it was really cool. Yeah, Tony Urie Jr. 
Mm-hmm. He was the co-owner. Co-owner? Of that that car. Wow. Did you know that? I did not. Yeah, here's how they talked about it after the race. That was a really special night for me personally. And, uh, you know, to be able to work with Dale Jr. again and being, uh, I guess you'd call it my first win as a car owner, it was pretty, pretty pitching. <laughs> Forgot about that, yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, as much as those two fought, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of glad they were civil at that point. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a great night all the way around. Yeah, and and you know, really, the the thing of it is, I'm sorry, <laughs> Bill Elliott's in the studio. Well, thing of it is, well, thing of it is, uh, the <laughs> it's just yeah, and it's really neat to see something like this happen. Mm-hmm. And you know, we tied it to 1974, which was a bad year all the way around. Yeah, right. You know, in most cases, but uh, you know, he he was born in 74, which you know, hey, I just realized he's on he's only nine years younger than me. Woohoo! Yeehaw. Yeah, well, I don't know what that means. But <laughs> nothing. Yeah, nothing. Well, compare him to William Byron, who's 19. You know, he, he's actually seen – Dale Jr. has actually heard of the of the television program Gunsmoke. <laughs> you know, William Byron doesn't know what Gunsmoke is. Now, no. Willie's a great kid. Don't get me wrong. I'm not bagging on him, but I guess I'm feeling my age. Gunsmoke was even before Junior's time. Yeah, but the rerun, it was still in reruns. Still well, it still on. is. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Do you think Miss Kitty and Matt will ever get together? No. No, probably not. No. Since both of them are have assumed room temperature. Well, 99 and 86 got together on Get Smart, so. That's true. Know. That's true. Anyway. Let's see that. <laughs> Jeannie got together with Tony. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Lucy, Desi. Lucy. I mean, we could go on. Yeah, we could. We could. <laughs> we could. Shaggy and Scooby-Doo. Oh, God. <laughs> you had to go there, didn't you? Jeez. Yeah, a lot of people were... Um, Thrilled to see the number three back on the racetrack with Dale Jr. driving it. But uh, he was emphatic after that race that he said it was the last time that he would ever run that particular car number. I will never do it. I'll never rethink it. I'll never consider it. I think that it's important for everybody to know that that's as concrete as it gets. I'll never do it again. So uh, it's hard for me. It's a balancing act between you and the public and myself and my own feelings. I mean, I kind of look to what you guys are putting out there to kind of get a temperature of how the public's feeling. And. It's such a tough deal. It's real emotional for me preparing for it and putting it together. Is is Rick okay with it? Did Rick mind? Uh, did uh, is Richard happy with his role and and is Teresa truly okay? And uh, you know, it's just so damn hard to know who how everybody feels about it. And uh, I just like cool looking cars. This was a hell of a cool looking car, and I've always loved this scheme. And that's just, that's all it mattered to me was just the scheme. I just love the car. I want to race it once, and uh, I did. I'd run the number before in this series, so I really didn't put a lot of stock in the fact that the three was coming back like a lot of people did. I didn't approach it that way mentally where everyone else was thinking, you know, the three's back, Earnhardt's three's back. But when I started hearing all that, you know, how everybody was making such a big deal out of it, I was like, man, this is pressure, man. This is a big deal. <laughs> so I was a little nervous, but um, I don't know if I did like that or not. But regardless of whether I did or not, I make my life pretty much driving that eight and now the 88, and it doesn't make sense for me to do this again. I think in the Nationwide Series, it makes a, enough sense, and I really wanted to do it, and I've done it. And uh, I ne- I don't ever want to do it again, and I'll never change my mind, ever. That was a big deal back in 2010. It was, and, and you know, the fact that they actually had the three back on the track. Mm-hmm. And I think that was right before the, the Dillon boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. Just came back in, and, and actually it was a – if you're going to do it, if you're Richard Childress, and Richard Childress has as much respect for Dale Earnhardt and Dale Earnhardt Jr. as anybody on the planet. Mm-hmm. So he did it right, 
and it was okay by all parties. And you got to win, and you park it, and you never run it again. Now, Austin and Ty and, and those guys, since that's Richard's car number, as much as it was Dale's, it's Richard's by NASCAR edict. Sure. So, you know, I think it was fine. And, and I don't really expect him to – I would think it would cheapen what he did in it if he did run it again. I mean, just my opinion. but No, I think I think you're right. And I think, you know, one and done, just, hey, hey, we're done. Yeah. Hey, what else can you do? Yeah. Mic drop. Boom. Yep. So, and, you know, it's really cool because, and I'll tell you, too, a lot of the people who come here to do, and they'll see that and take pictures, you know, I have to chivvy them along just a little bit because they'll sit there and take pictures for, you know, 30 minutes. It's like, guys, all right, it's a three, it's Wrangler, come on, go, we got to go. Do you get any interesting questions about that car? No, not really. I mean, everybody People just stare in, in yeah. awe of it, yeah. The most common thing is people will run their hand over Dale's signature on the outside window. Uh-huh. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, of course, you know, as soon as we do that, one of the shop guys goes and wipes it off. But, <laughs> um, I mean, and that's not, that's not anything against the people. It's just oil, fingerprints. You right. Know, like, you know, it's dirty enough. <laughs> right, right. All we do is put air in the tires because uh, those tires are the original tires that were on there. Uh-huh. Support our troops, you know. Yeah. As part of NASCAR Salutes program. Right, right. Which is a really worthwhile program, I think. Yeah. You know, I have veterans on, on both sides of my family, so it's really cool. I think it's just a neat car overall. It's a classic Wrangler paint scheme that his dad made famous, and mm-hmm. Junior followed it up with a victory, and what more can you ask for? One and done. I like it. Speaking of one and done, it's going to be three and done because uh, it's time for Beat the Buzzer. This week's featured segment, as always, is called Beat the Buzzer. It's very simple. We've managed to entice the world's foremost historian on NASCAR racing, NASCAR Hall of Fame historian, our friend Buzz McKim, to join us each week for this segment. And as if that isn't enough, our listeners can win prizes too. Buzz, welcome to Back in the Day. Well, thank you, sir. It is really good to be back. What were you doing in 1974? 1974, let me see. I was preparing for my first marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, What were you doing in 74, Steve? I was a junior in high school. I was nine. You were nine. I was nine. You were a junior in high school as well. I I was a junior, junior high school. Uh Um, Let us set this up for you. The week before each episode, we will put out the call for Junior Nation and Dirty Mo followers to take to our Twitter accounts at Exalta Racing and at Dirty Mo Radio and post with a hashtag back in the day and tagged with Exalta. Who are we playing for this week? We are playing for Brett Weikert. Hey, congratulations, Brett. Brett Weikert. Buzz is going to represent... Brett, uh, this week when he beats our pants off again. Um, If Buzz gets them all right, and he usually does, one lucky fan, in this case Brett Weikert, will win a prize from either Dirty Mo Radio or Exalta. I like these questions this week. I I think they were pretty cool, too. I I don't know who came up with them, but they were pretty good. Well, I think we might have him beat this week. We might. We might. Uh, all right. I don't we, know. We'll see about that. All right. You, re- <laughs> <laughs> you, re- you ready, Buzz? Yes, sir. And I'm going to do my best for you there, buddy. Oh, Brett. All right. Well, here is question number one. <laughs> Who won the first July NASCAR race at Daytona International Speedway? Oh, you know, it was an all Daytona effort because the owner of the car was Smokey Eunuch, and the driver was Fireball Roberts. But what was cool about that, he was driving a car number three that day. This is before his number 22 with Smokey. So uh, a little unusual twist right there. He won with a number three. 
Wow. A three in victory lane at Daytona. Who to thunk it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to move into number two. How many July race victories does the Earnhardt family have? Um, let's see. If I'm not mistaken, Dale won two and Junior won two for a total of four. Well, that's not the right math. Two plus two is five. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. All right. Here is question number three. How many NASCAR Hall of Fame inductees were in that first July race at Daytona way back in 1959? Ooh, well, we know the winner, Fireball, uh, was, um, you know, he's one of our Hall of Famers. Um, and then uh, Joe Weatherly. Yeah. Uh, Cotton Owens. Right. And uh, little Rex White, the oldest and shortest cup champion. Also the funniest, <laughs> I think. Oh, yes, absolutely. And then uh, the Petties, uh, Lee, and then uh, his, his talented young son, Richard. Yeah. And uh, and then Buck Baker. Looks like we have seven of those fellas in there. <sighs> he got them all. Oh, dang it. Oh, now, I, I went way deep on that for, for that. How many NASCAR Hall of Fame inductees? Well, the thing is, he works at the Hall of Fame. He well, better yeah. know that. <laughs> yeah, I know. but <laughs> There was a little sidebar to that, though. Uh, Joe Weatherly finished second to Fireball. And um, that race was called a sweepstakes race, meaning that half of the field was convertibles and half was uh, sedans or hardtops. And uh, Weatherly finished second, and traditionally the convertibles didn't really run that well against the hardtops. So for him to come in second in that race in a convertible was a pretty unusual thing. That's one of the reasons, I think, why he's in the, uh, in the Hall of Fame. Wow. He could drive pretty much anything. Oh, yeah. Well, wow, they had an aero disadvantage and sunburned as well. That's right. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> but look, it was cool. It was you cooler. <laughs> Buzz, you've been, wait, you've been in Daytona when it's been really, really hot in July. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Where you can't breathe? Yes. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. yeah. Standing on the beach, you can't breathe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's pretty rough. <laughs> well, Buzz, you've done it again. Are we still the Washington Generals here? We're the Cleveland Browns, I think. Yes. <laughs> Cleveland Browns. <laughs> we have a quarterback. I don't know. When? <laughs> yeah. Buzz, what's uh, what's happening down there at the uh, NASCAR Hall of Fame in Uptown Charlotte? Well, you know, it's kind of neat. Uh, a few times a year we have what we call viewing parties at the Hall of Fame here in our state-of-the-art theater. And uh, that will be coming up on the 1st of July for the July race at Daytona. Uh, it's only 10 bucks, and you get to see uh, the race on the wide screen. You get a scanner uh, with each admission, and you don't get to keep it, but you get to listen to the drivers and their colorful explanations during the race. And uh, no commercials. And there's a uh, you know concession stand right outside the door, so you can bring your uh, you know you can you can get your food and uh, and even uh, adult beverages if you care to. But it's a really really neat deal, and uh, it's the closest thing to being at the track that uh, you'll ever experience. And then uh, we also have the Richard Petty family uh, legacy uh, exhibit here in the Great Hall. Richard's 80th birthday is going to be on Sunday, July 2nd, uh, which is uh, ironically the very same day that Amelia Earhart disappeared. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Interesting reference. <laughs> yes. But that, that's really neat. It, uh, yeah, we wanted to do something for Richard for his birthday, and he said, no, I said, I want the whole family involved. So they went into the archives, the family archives, they didn't throw anything out, and each family member got to pick out what they felt was important. So you'll see things that uh, have never been on display before. So we, we're going to have that in the main hall here until about the end of July. So we'd love to have you all come on by. So what are you doing for Amelia Earhart? Oh, we're going <laughs> to uh, look upon her fondly. 
Uh, I think they'll take a flyer on that one. (laughs) (laughs) You landed another one. I did. Yep. I'm just winging that one. All right. That's it for puns today. Thanks, Buzz, again for coming on and giving us really, really good uh, trivia knowledge and winning a prize for old Brett Weikert. Yeah, I hope he enjoys it. And I had a blast and can't wait to see you guys next time, okay? All right. We'll see you later. That's it for this episode of Back in the Day. Thanks to Buzz McKim, our resident NASCAR guru, for playing along with us again. And keep an eye on at Exalta Racing and at Dirty Mo Radio for the opportunity to play along. Remember, history is made every day, so be a part of it with Back in the Day. Thanks for listening to Dirty Mo Radio. Hey, I'm Justin Allgaier, driver of the Junior Motorsports number 7 Chevrolet. Racing Electronics provides the best communication equipment and technology to professional teams and drivers, and that very same technology is available in the products they offer to race fans. Visit RacingElectronics.com to learn more.